Lord Jesus, as we were praying before the service, I just continue to pray now. May your presence be made known today. May you come and speak to the hearts of your people. Lord, there's nothing that I can say, honestly, that will change a thing. But when you show up and speak, everything is different. So would you come and speak to the hearts of your people today? As John the Baptist prayed, Lord, may I decrease and you increase this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever get up in front of a room of people and realize at that moment you really have to pee? <laughs> We're going to see how this goes this morning. It might be the fastest message on record. We'll see. So if you're wondering how can I pray for him while he's up there, that is how. Last week, uh, we started something that I, I hope to be able to do every January, and that's focus in on evangelism. That January kind of becomes our month of evangelism, where we come back and we focus on the mission that God has given us who are followers of Jesus, to be on the same mission that our king was on when he was on earth. You guys know in Luke it says that Jesus came to seek and save what? The lost. The whole reason that he came was because there were people that were lost and he wanted them found. And so now to be on mission with the king, to be a part of the kingdom, is to be about what the king is about. To seek and save that which is lost. So we believe here at this church that it is our calling, every single one of us, to be on mission with the king. We, the, the big kind of Christian word for it is evangelism. To share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know it. And so every January, I want to focus in on it. And like we're going to start to get more and more practical as this goes on. It kind of starts with the 30,000 foot view where we kind of look at it like, hey, are we really called to it? Is it really what we're supposed to be about? Working in towards, what do I actually say? How do I actually share this with someone? So if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a peek behind the curtain for you. You may wonder, like, why do Christians do what they do? Why do they say what they say? You're going to kind of see behind the scenes today where we talk about why and how we share the good news of Jesus with people. So when I think of our church and I think of, like, evangelism, it forces me to think about the future. And I start to ask some what-if questions. I don't know if you've ever asked these before. I want to do a quick little exercise with you. Right where you are, close your eyes. No one's going to jump out and scare you. You don't have to worry. You're safe. Close your eyes. As best as you can, picture a Sunday morning service just like this three years from now. Who's in the seats? As you begin to look around, is it the same people that are here now? Oftentimes, when I think of the church in the future, I picture the exact same church. We're kind of doing the same thing. Maybe we're a little better at it. What if there was people here that you've never seen before because the gospel actually works, because the harvest is actually ready, and the king is calling people in? Go ahead and open your eyes. As I start to think about the future, and I start to think about even some of the announcements that we give. You know, we were like, hey, we need some nursery workers and children's church workers, and uh, surely we'll share sometimes, hey, we need youth workers. Like, and we start to look and go, okay, who among us is it going to be? Well, you did it last year, so now it's, maybe it's your turn. And Think about it this way. What if our next nursery worker isn't a part of our church yet? 
What if our next Awana leader doesn't yet know Jesus? That person that, that in two years from now is going to be our next Awana commander, right now doesn't even know the love of God. But they will. What if our next treasurer, I'm thinking of you, Phil, what if our next treasurer is sleeping in right now because she is completely unaware of how loved she is by God? What if our next elder is still waiting to hear the best news they have ever heard? When we think about evangelism, we got to kind of get out of the box a little bit. There should be this kind of hope-filled dreaming. Who could be next? Who could be the one that if they just heard the good news of Jesus today would make a decision? Like, do we really believe that that is the case? What if when you stopped and you pictured our church two years from now, your three were sitting beside you? Those three people that God has kind of placed in your life that are close to you and far from him that you've been praying for. What if when you pictured it three years from now, they were sitting next to you and actually a few of their three are sitting next to them? Like, do we really believe that that is possible? There's some kind of spirit-led imagining that has to happen, some, some hope-filled dreaming. What could God do if the gospel was really as powerful as he says it is? That's why we're going to come back and keep focusing on evangelism, because I believe his word is true. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. If we actually picked up the mantle, believed his word, and went out into the harvest field, we would see lives transformed. The gospel is that powerful. Last week, we started by looking at, Chris, go ahead and put the slide up there for me, actually, Emily. We started looking at some obstacles that many of us have to evangelism. I'm not going to teach this again, but just I wanted to, to refresh you. Sometimes we lack clarity. What kind of is the gospel? What do I say? How do I go about it? When we lack clarity, we lack confidence. Some of us lack calling because we think that it's, well, some of you lack calling because you think it's my job. And I keep hoping it's someone else's job. Scripturally, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's our job. We lack conviction. Do we really believe that God's word is true? That the gospel really can transform lives? That that person who seems real broken, real far away, that God could actually redeem and transform them? We lack courage. It's scary. What are they going to think of me? What if I get it wrong? What if, what if, what if? Or sometimes, if we're honest, this is the scariest one. We just lack compassion. We see people lost and broken, and we just don't care enough to do anything. The, the section on the left is the obstacles. The things on the right in yellow are some ways that I challenge you. If you struggle in any of these areas, here's some prayers that you can pray. Commitment to what am I going to do to learn more about this, to kind of clear up some of the fog if I lack clarity, if I lack confidence. What, what am I going to do to really get to the bottom of this? Am I called? What am I going to read? Who am I going to talk with? If you lack conviction to prayers for belief, I said one of the most beautiful prayers, a man came to Jesus, his son was in need of healing, and he said, look, Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus said, if. And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I, I know you can, but I'm still kind of even scared to ask. And Jesus didn't, like, kick that man out, like, he said, man, look at his faith, and he healed his son. Some of us need to come and go, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. We looked at, at how many times the apostle Paul prayed for boldness, and if he needed it, we need it. 
And we looked at prayers for brokenness. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. It was the compassion of Jesus that led him toward the lost. And it's his compassion in our lives that will lead us toward the lost. Does that make sense, church? Okay, so that's kind of our jumping off point this morning. We, here's some obstacles that we need to deal with. Here's some ways that we can begin to pray and to move forward. And what I want to do this morning is kind of drill down. If we're going to become the evangelizing people that I believe God has created us to be, I think there's two just ultimately life-giving truths that we have to get deep down in our heart that we need to internalize and own. I, I think there's, there's two truths that we're either muddy on or we just plain believe a lie about. And it keeps us from evangelism. It keeps us from that, that boldness and compassion, everything that we were talking about. And so I want to spend our time this morning just really drilling down on these two truths that I think can change everything. Here's the first truth. If we're going to become the evangelizing people that God has created us to be, here's the first truth. We don't save anybody. If you're a follower of Jesus, take a deep breath and let it out. That is good news. It is not on you to save anybody. You can't. Don't try. Salvation is not our work. Sometimes when we think about evangelism, there's so much pressure and anxiety and stress because what if I get it wrong? And oh man, and I, I, I'm not, I don't know exactly what to say. And, and so we just don't even try because we think it's on us. I have to do it perfectly if that person is going to really hear about Jesus and begin to follow them. It is not on us. We don't save anybody, and that should be some of the best news you hear today. The pressure is not on us. I think the, the problem is we don't have a clear division of labor. We don't understand the part that God plays and the part that we play. So what I want to do this morning is, is let's spend some time talking amongst ourselves. Let's learn from each other. What role does God play in evangelism? What's his part? Because if it's his part, we shouldn't even be trying to pick it up, right? Because it's his, and he's way better at it. What part does God play? What role does he play in evangelism? Okay. Prepares people's hearts to hear the message. Yeah, open their ears. Okay, he actually does the saving part. Yep. He, so not only does he do the saving, not like he already did the work that provides salvation for people, like done, taken care of, nothing needs added to it. And then when people turn and believe, it's, it's him that does the work that brings them from death to life. Okay, what else? Yeah, yeah. we looked at a, a passage last week where Jesus was telling his disciples, look, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say in those times. It's, it's even God that does the speaking through us. He gives us what to say. Okay, what else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can't step-by-step step be with somebody like through everything they're going through. We go home at some point. Like we're, we're not with them all the time, but God is with them, working with them, moving with them every step of the journey. 
That is huge and deep. Yes. What else? What's God's role? Okay. He brings conviction of sin. He says that the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin and judgment. Hey, listen, guys, this is good news. That means we don't have to walk up to someone and convince them they're a sinner. That sucks. Don't try that. Like, it, it's terrible for them. You come away going, oh, gosh, what was that? And like, don't ever feel like you have to convince someone that they're a sinner. Not your job. He will take care of that. He models salvation through us. We're, we're able to go and tell people, I've tripped over that same thing. I have struggled with that same thing. I've sinned in that same way, and God has forgiven me. He, he does that work in us and then shows us off to other people. Okay? Anything else? Okay, how do you mean that? He ordains relationships is what he said. He creates the opportunities for us to even have gospel conversations. He, he is working in those people's lives when we're not even there. Sometimes we have this in our head that we have to like take Jesus to someone. Guess what? He's already there. He's already working and moving. We're just there looking for the cracked doors, the doors that are open. We don't save anybody. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for the salvation of anyone who believes, everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. The whole Jew and Greek thing just means everybody. Doesn't miss anybody. It is the gospel that is God's power for salvation, which means, again, deep breath, it's not me. It is God who does the saving I can breathe a little easier. John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What part do we play in that? I don't see us in there at all. It is the Father that draws people to himself. It is Jesus that does the work of raising people from the dead. I think sometimes we have to take ourselves a little less seriously. And this is hard. It can be a tough line to walk because we need to take evangelism more seriously, but our part in it a little less seriously. Sometimes we're so paralyzed by what if I get it wrong? From what I see here, short of just blatant disobedience, God's going to do his thing. Whether or not we partner with him is one thing, but like God is going to do his thing. He's going to build his church. He came to seek and save the lost. We can breathe a little easier. We don't save anybody. So let's answer this question. What role then do we play in evangelism? Showing up. What does that mean?
Yeah, actually just being available to people, like being present with people. We were struggling with this beforehand, but COVID knocked us for a loop, and all of a sudden staying at home sounds real good all day, every day, right? <laughs> I noticed no one else said no, right? It's kind of become a bit of our default, and so part of the role that we play is just getting out of our own shell a little bit, just being present with people so that they can see the light that God has placed within us. Janetta? Yeah. In the scripture, one of the ways that believers are often referred to as witnesses. That's what Kim was thinking. And tell us what you were thinking, Kim. I don't want to take it from you. A witness, like, listen, is a pretty passive role. In all the ways you think about it, in a courtroom scene and whatever else, we answer questions, we say what we saw, we say what we experienced. It is not the witness job to get up and go, and another thing. And like, they just talk about what they've seen. They testify, you know, a biblical word, a church word, they testify to what they've seen. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the first part of what you were saying there is actually like is is crucial. We gotta just be real with people. Sometimes we think if we're ever if someone's ever gonna come to Jesus, they need to think my life is perfect. Well, guess what? They're hip to it. They know your life isn't perfect because they've spent time with you and they know that you're not perfect. But sometimes we're so, like, like we feel like we're going to derail God's plan if someone finds out we struggle with something. That's not how it works. Honestly, the more real we are with people, the more they can see his light shining through us. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 4 about this amazing power that God has placed within us. But he says, but look, you are cracked clay jars, but the light shines through the cracks and it draws people in. We've got to let our crack show a little bit. I'm, I'm not talking about just flaunt our sin and like, yeah, guess what I did last night? No. But allowing people to see, like, man, I struggle too, but God is still good. So I'll hand over here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
If someone can look at my life, as flawed as I am, and go, wait, but God still loves him, maybe there's a chance for me, because he's more jacked up than I am. Amen. I'm not even going to fight her. <laughs> Here's what the Apostle Paul said. Oh, oh go ahead. Yeah, understanding that everyone is on their own journey. That this word journey has become kind of a big thing in people's spiritual journey. And at first I was kind of turned off on it because I was like, ugh, it's so touchy-feely. But really, like, there, there's power in it of going, they're moving at their own pace with the Lord. And the more that I can realize, look, it's my, not my job to save them, the more I can just kind of go, hey, where you are, like, God knows. I don't have to rush you along. I don't have to, like, it's really between you and him. I'm here to help however I can with the opportunities I have, but you're on your own journey with the Lord. You don't have to be on my timeline. The, the Apostle Paul, I think who most would say greatest evangelist of all time, here's how he saw his role. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians 3, the church was fighting over like, Paul is the greatest and look at all the stuff he's done for God. And here's Paul's response to them. What then is Apollos, another man who was serving? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you have believed, and each has the role the Lord has given them. Okay, Paul, what, what is that role? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's fields, God's building. Who's doing the heavy lifting? God. God. Paul goes, look, I scatter seed wherever I can, and I also understand some of it's not going to grow. In fact, most of it. But that's not my business. Wherever I see somebody who maybe a seed was planted by someone else and they're starting to kind of ask some questions, I water the seed. I try to walk with them and, and show them what it is to follow Jesus, but even still, who gives the growth? God. We are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. He's the one doing the work. But Paul says we are his co-workers. And again, we can confuse that a little bit. We can take ourselves a little too seriously. We can go, okay, well, I'm going to help God out today. I, I once heard it put like this. Uh, a, a pastor who was saying, look, us being co-workers with God is like me taking Theo to work with me. He's going to put on a little hard hat. He's going to pack a little lunch. He's probably going to get in the way more than he's going to help, though. You know what I mean? What he's going to contribute, he's just going to work with Dad. If anyone ever, let's take Maverick or Mick or, like, if anyone was like, hey, they built your house, you'd be a little worried, right? <laughs> Why did you give them that responsibility? Like, what? We are kids going to work with our dad. He's doing the heavy lifting. He loves to have us along for the ride. He loves to teach us and to show us how he moves. But in the end, he's the one building the house. We've got cute heart hats and little lunch pails. He's the one doing the work. Romans 10, Paul says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But how can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. God has called us to come with him so that we can just look at people and go, isn't he awesome? That's our job. To present, I love it, to announce the gospel of good things. God wants to do amazing things in your life. I don't know how. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know when he's going to do them. But I know that God wants to do amazing things in your life. He does the work. We're witnesses. We're little kids going to work with God, and we just get to brag on him. That's our role in evangelism. There's a, a ministry called Alpha, a parachurch ministry that works with churches to help them grow in evangelism. You, you will probably hear more about them in 2023 here at the church. But here's their definition of evangelism. I love it. It says, evangelism is joining a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. God is already working and moving in other people's lives. He draws them in. He will lift them up. He is making himself known to people. He is convicting them of sin. He, he's doing all of that. Our job is to recognize, like, wow, I think God is nudging them here. How can I join in the conversation? I don't have to kick the door open. I don't have to, like, wrestle a conversation that direction. Holy Spirit, what are you already speaking to this person, and how can I join in? Do you see how it takes the pressure off? How it removes some of the, the anxiety. Oh, God, you're already at work, and you will continue to be at work. Even if I make a mistake or I miss an opportunity, you're going to keep working. You're going to keep moving. I don't have to save anybody. Until we internalize this truth, we're going to continue to carry unnecessary weight and guilt when it comes to evangelism. We're going to shoulder pressure and anxiety that we were never meant to carry. We don't save anybody, and that is good news. Quick Hebrew lesson. Does anyone in here know what Jesus literally means? N names in Hebrew were more like short sentences. They actually meant something. Does anybody know what Jesus literally means? Yahweh saves. Were you saying the same thing? The, a... a Yahweh, a name for God, it, it, Jesus literally means the Lord is salvation. That's good news. I'm not. Jesus came to declare the good news. God is salvation. He's got everything you need. He's got it taken care of. We don't save anybody. This is a life-giving truth that we will find so much rest and freedom in if we will actually give in to it. So, that first truth, we don't save anybody. The second truth, this one will take a little explaining. The gospel is a whole life thing. What I mean by that is this. Oftentimes, one of the reasons that we struggle so much in evangelism, like how do we, how do we have the conversations, how do we kind of bring Jesus up, part of the reasons we struggle with that is because the gospel actually informs so little of our lives. The, the gospel has been relegated to eternity one day. The good news of Jesus is that you don't have to go to hell when you die, right? That is good news, and that is 100% a part of the gospel. But we've kind of put it in its own little box 
And we go, Jesus, work on the cross, overcoming sin and death and raising again because one day we're going to raise again and be with him. Absolutely true, absolutely incomplete. As long as that is really all that the gospel is attached to is I don't have to worry when I die one day. What about today? How do I begin to walk with other people and their life and their struggles today? The gospel is an, is an entire life thing. It should touch and affect and inform every single area of our life. Again, Romans 1.16, we looked at this passage earlier, the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel brings salvation, right? And salvation means no hell, heaven, Right? So later, Paul says this in Philippians. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Paul is telling them right now here today, work out your salvation. Let me, let me tell you real quick what it doesn't mean. He's not saying earn it. He's not going, hey, figure it out for yourself. We know this. I mean, he's the one that said it's, it's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Paul would never say, figure out your own salvation. Save yourself from hell. He wouldn't say it. So what does he mean when he says to work out your salvation, here, today, now. These were like present day instructions he was giving them. He wasn't saying one day you're gonna die, worry about that. He was saying right now where you live, work out your salvation. What does that mean for us? Maverick? Practicing our salvation, okay. I am interested to hear more on that. Okay, the, the, the next passage, like David is saying, it says, it's God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. It's going, God is doing something in your heart here and now, and we're to partner with him in that. What does that mean? What does that look like? Work out your salvation. This has been a very confusing verse for a lot of people for a long time. Linda? Mm-hmm. Okay, constantly remembering. She said, you know, you're in this pit of sin and the only thing that's going to save you, bring you out, is God. Okay? Okay, so that kind of 
back to what Maverick said of practicing, strengthening, like living in salvation. Like, okay. Any other thoughts? I think when Paul says this working out your salvation, what he's actually getting at is apply salvation to your entire life. Like apply salvation every day. If we're going to do that, it can't just be every day going, one day I'm going to go to heaven. I don't have to worry about hell. That's the, the big word for it is truncated. It, it's, it's a weird partial piece of the gospel, but it denies the reality that God has called us to live in. We are to work out our salvation. We are to apply salvation to every part of our lives, which means that it has to be more than just a one day in eternity thing. Salvation is a whole life thing. Neil Cole, author of a book called Ordinary Hero, says this, salvation is more than the decision we made to receive Christ. It is a process, a state of being, as well as a destination. It is so much more than what is sold to people today from most pulpits, tracts, and crusades. The, the work of Jesus is way more than just, hey, you don't have to worry about hell one day. It actually is meant to apply to your life today. It's meant to apply to your relationships, to your finances, to your job, to your decision making. We are meant to apply salvation to every part of our lives. The gospel, the good news is meant to inform every area of our lives. I think that we need to tweak our definition of the gospel a little bit. And I understand I'm skating on thin ice right now. There are certain things that you have to be very careful when you mess with, the gospel being one of those. So I understand this, and my, my intent is not at all to move away from a scriptural definition, but actually to move back toward what the authors meant. I think we have spent, as the church, centuries telling people what Jesus did applies to eternity. And we've become so focused on that that we have missed the working of the gospel in our everyday lives. Uh, last week, you know, I asked, what was the gospel? And some of you were answering things back. And you answered very much like Paul probably would have answered it in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me, this is Paul let me build it up here a little bit. He's, he's summing up his letter to them. He's gone through all kinds of stuff, how to live, how to be the church, all of this. But he goes, let me remind you of the thing that was of the first importance, the most important thing that I've said to you. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel that I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You were also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose. He's like, it'd be silliness. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says this is foundational. This is the gospel. Jesus' death for our sin, 
burial, and resurrection. That we would say that is the gospel, correct? Are you kidding me? Let's try that again. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again. We would say that is the gospel, correct? Yes. Thank you. If there's something to get excited about, that's the one. There's something a little confusing about it, though. I would agree with Paul, obviously. I'm going to say yes and amen. But we find Jesus decades earlier preaching a gospel. Before he died, before he was buried, and before he was rose again. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. That word good news means gospel. Same word. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. What was the message of Jesus' gospel? He was preaching the good news, but he was, we know he wasn't coming and going, one day I'm going to die and be buried and raised again. Later in his ministry, there was a couple times when he would get his 12 disciples together and go, hey guys, here's what's happening. And they completely whiffed on it. But Jesus wasn't going town to town telling people, I'm going to die for your sin. But he was still sharing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom with them. What was the good news of the gospel that Jesus was preaching? Okay, I'm hearing a couple of things. Chris, what was yours? Okay, the kingdom is near. Repent. That was, that was a message that Jesus often shared. What were some of the other ones? Okay, that God offers forgiveness of sin. Jesus got in a lot of hot water over this whole I can forgive sin thing. Okay, that was definitely a part of his message. What else? Okay, that God can heal. God is coming and he's doing some new things. Okay. What else? Well, I think a big part of it was that God wasn't far away. It had been 400 years yeah. since much dramatic had happened. And right. I think a lot of people thought, well, God might be up there, but he's a long way away. Yeah. He's near. The good news of the kingdom was this. There is a king. And guess what? He's at hand. The king is in your midst. The king is in your presence. This was the message that Jesus had. Now there's a response. You need to repent because the kingdom has come near. You need to believe because the kingdom has come near. But the good news that Jesus preached was that God has come near to you. God is at work in your midst today. That was the good news. That was the message of Jesus that was why people needed to turn and to repent and to believe was because the king had come near. That was the gospel that Jesus preached. Belief in Jesus' work on the cross, hear me, is the starting point. The problem is what we've done is we've turned it into the finish line. I just got to get somebody to believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins because hell is scary and heaven sounds better. If we can just get them to believe that, Job done. No problem. Some of us were, were taught that gospel. That's how some of us came to faith in Jesus. We were kind of scared out of hell. We were told that Jesus wants you to live with him one day, and he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And listen, is that true? Yes and amen. What kind of follower of Jesus does that create, though? One that says, okay, so today I do whatever I want. Today doesn't really matter. 
Because the gospel is all about one day in eternity. The good news of Jesus was that God has come near to you. And listen, there was a barrier. For some, there still is a barrier of sin. We've, we've rebelled against God. And it's, we get this picture in scripture of this chasm that we can't cross to get to him. The gospel begins, the foundational piece is Jesus came and died on the cross to bridge the gap. He rose again so that we can have life, so that God can come near to us and we can come near to him. There's a very practical, everyday, right now, working out of that salvation. It's not just one day, someday. God has come to work in your life for your good and his glory right now today. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross not just because, well, sin is rough, but because my people are separated from me and I want to work in their lives. I want to walk with them. That's the good news. His death, burial, and resurrection is what bridged the gap, is what made the good news possible. Does that make sense, church? When we share the good news with people, sometimes, like, listen, we go, but how do I get into that conversation? Because unless the person comes up and says, so I was thinking about the afterlife, we go, how do I kind of wrestle this conversation to go, so, hell is scary, right? Let me tell you about Jesus. Because when we have conversations with people, they're talking about real life things that are happening in their lives today. And if the gospel doesn't apply to real life right now today, we are never going to have those conversations. Not only we're going to miss out on the blessing of seeing God move in our midst today, we will never be able to have those conversations with those that need to hear it most because we can't figure out how do I get this conversation to eternity? Their son is sick and they're trying to figure that out. I guess I could say, hey, if your son dies, he might not have to worry about it. Like, nope, don't do that. We, we say some boneheaded things because we're well-meaning, but we're going, how do I get this conversation to heaven and hell? The good news of the gospel is wherever you are, God wants to work in your life today. The barrier is sin. Don't worry, he took care of it. Yeah, you don't have to worry about hell one day. Yes, heaven is going to be amazing. And the, the scripture calls that the blessed hope of the believer. That's meant to give us hope and to encourage us. But it's not really meant to like hold us over until one day when it matters. God is moving in our midst today. God is moving in the midst of those who need him today. And it's our job to help them see that. Do you, do you guys see the difference it's nuanced, and I understand because I'm not saying we shouldn't tell people Jesus died on the cross for their sin. We have to. But he did that for a reason, and it was so that he could walk with them today. He is working for their good and for his glory right now, this very moment. While we sit here, God is out there working in the lives of people, bringing them one step closer to salvation would we be workers in the harvest field? Would we go out going, Lord, who are you having a conversation with and how can I join in? How can I begin to show people the good news of Jesus applies to life right here, right now, today? Until we internalize this truth that the gospel is a whole life thing, we will miss out on the continuing work that Jesus desires to do in our own lives. Our growth will be stunted and superficial, and we will miss out on the everyday opportunities 
for gospel conversations all around us. So I want to play a little game show. You guys like game shows, right? I, had, I was going to play some music and do all that, but it seemed way too cheesy. So I'm going to save you from that. But I want to play this game show. I'm the host, you're the contestants, and it's called How Does the Gospel Apply? How we play this, folks at home, I'm going to give you a couple circumstances, a couple scenarios, and then we're going to talk. How does the gospel apply to that? And the answer for none of these will be, don't worry, you won't have to worry about it in heaven. Okay? If that's what you're trying to think, how do I get onto that on-ramp? That is not the correct answer. So how does the gospel apply to this situation? You're struggling with an important relationship in your life. It could be a child, it could be a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a coworker, a relationship in your life that is important, but there's friction there. There's tension. Someone has hurt someone's feelings, or more than likely, everybody's hurt everybody's feelings. You're struggling in this important relationship. How does the gospel apply? Don't force it on them. Like, don't force the gospel on them. Okay? Be patient with that. Yeah. Okay? So, someone has offended me. Who have I offended in a big way? Oh, that's right. God. What was God's response to my offense? Forgiveness. Like, he didn't just meet me halfway. He came all the way. And he forgave me. And then he moved even deeper into relationship with me. Was I perfect? Did I stop offending him at some point? Not yet. But he forgave and he moved toward. So how might he be calling me to relate with this person? To forgive and to move toward. Okay? It happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 I for, I forgive you for what you've done. Like I I want to move toward you in relationship. And and let's be honest, I'm sorry for this thing that I did. Very few of us come out of this 100% in the clear. You know what I'm saying? The way we respond oftentimes has sin tangled up in it or whatever. And so to be the person that comes and with a confessional life, something we find in the gospel, hey, when I said this, like that was wrong of me and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oftentimes when we're offended by somebody, it's because we're asking the questions, do they think this, do they think I'm dumb? Do they think I didn't know that? Do they? And we start wondering, like, what are they thinking of me? Man, the good news of the gospel is even if they think the absolute worst, 
that doesn't change my value. Like, God saw me at my absolute worst and still moved towards me. I'm going to be okay, even if this person never understands what I had to say, even if they never see my side of things or agree that I'm right. That's what most of us want most of the time. Even if they never give me that, I'm okay. Because God has loved me. He's accepted me. He moves towards me. I'm going to be fine. God, have, God had every opportunity and right to curse us in our sin, right? To go, you idiots, what is wrong with you? But instead chose to bless us and give us what we didn't deserve. How are we supposed to respond to others? To bless when we have opportunity to curse. You start to see how the gospel informs this. So let me ask you, same question, little different shade to it. A friend is sharing with you about struggling in an important relationship. How does the gospel inform how you approach your friend. So here's another uh, little hint for our game show here. The answers are going to be pretty similar. As we learn to apply the whole gospel to our whole lives, we will start to see as other people start sharing about their lives, we're going to see opportunities everywhere because we go, the gospel speaks to that. God wants to bring life there. And so we can start to share with people. We go, hey, you know what? I've struggled with some of those same relationships, and here's what I realized. I needed to offer forgiveness. Like, I've been forgiven so much that, like, I couldn't withhold it. Uh, I, man, I was so mad, and all I wanted to do was just to start gossiping about them and really kind of curse them. But I realized that I've been so blessed, I, I couldn't in conscience do that. So instead, I've been praying for that person. I've been blessing them. I don't have to then tell that person, here's what you need to do. Careful. Here's what that's looked like in my life, and I have found so much freedom through it. If that sounds interesting to you, I'd love to talk more with you about it. As we start to see the whole gospel apply to our whole lives, we will see opportunities everywhere. Okay, let me give you another one. How does the gospel apply? You're having money troubles. Not that any of us here ever have or will in life, but put yourself in those shoes. Money's tight. You're worried about the future. There's these bills that are coming due. There's these kind of like looming things on the horizon and you're anxious about it. You're having money troubles. How does the gospel apply? Okay. God has always been faithful. Yeah. What's that? Okay. Pray about it. How does the gospel apply to our finances? Mm-hmm. And that's the way 
the king has always been generous and he was never worried about what if I don't have enough, how do you think his followers are to be? Generous and trusting that. Who, who actually does the providing? According to the gospel, all the stuff we talked about with salvation, with righteousness, with who actually provides all that? God, correct? Can that work with money too? Yeah. There's actually a spot where Paul says, talking about Jesus and everything that he's done on the cross, and he says, look, if God has even given his own son, how much more will he give us every blessing on this earth? Now listen, does that mean that we're all going to be millionaires? No. Does that mean that God is going to meet the needs of his people? Yeah. If he loved me enough to leave heaven and come to this filthy place and put on this filthy stuff and walk with me for 33 years and then ultimately pay the price, die the worst death that I can think because he loves me and cares for me and wanted to provide even salvation for me, what is money to that? Why in the world would I worry about will I have enough? Okay. A friend is sharing with you about having money troubles. How does the gospel apply? Unlike society, God doesn't, God's love is not a mind to protect all the money. Society changes that. Yeah. God is completely irrelevant. Yeah. What Kim was reading earlier, there's no strings attached. There's not a, well, did you earn it? Like, yeah. How does the gospel apply? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the difference of God provides our needs, not all our wants necessarily. And like, yep, right.
one of the things that keeps coming back is that, again, that witnessing. Here's what I've seen God do in my life. Here's what I've seen God do in my family, in my friend, uh, George Mueller, just an insane story of how God continued to provide for him as he's building up these orphanages. Not like our faith stories, that witnessing speaks to people. It shows them that like, man, God cares about this stuff. And it causes them to ask that question, could I trust him with that too? Again, that's between them and God. That's not my decision to make for them, but it leads them in that direction. Savannah? So let's get real practical. <laughs> Man, I just, I don't know if we're going to have enough. You know, we just came out of Christmas time. I'm struggling. Like, I'd, I want my kids to have a great Christmas. I just, it's not there. Now, you can sit back and go, yeah, I've been there, and I prayed, and here's what God did. Bye. Maybe, what if God is leading you to actually live out the good news of the gospel? I have been so cared for and taken care of by God that I actually have extra we, we talk to our kids all the time, like, we tell them we are rich. We have more than we need. That is the definition of rich. How am I going to say I'm rich, but look at you and go, praying it works out for you? Like, God has been so rich towards me, I would love to help you in this. Sometimes living out the gospel, it's more than just words, putting actions along with it. Okay, let me get this last one, because I love our children's church workers. You're having health troubles or you get a difficult diagnosis. This one hits close to home to some right now. How does the gospel apply? Yeah. The way that we, the way that we live in difficult times makes a difference. How, how does the gospel apply here? Okay. Do we really believe that God is working for our good and for his glory even when we just got that news? Even when this thing is still here? Even when it won't go away? Do we still believe that God is working for our good? This, this is big boy and big girl stuff here. This isn't easy. The good news, and this has always been one of those weirdest things, like if you think about it, Christians that have a cross on a necklace, it would be today like us having a necklace with an electric chair on it. You'd be like, that's a bad thing. You know that, right? Like an instrument of torture and death. But for us, we look at it and we go, man, what a symbol of hope. The, the good news carries with it, Jesus understood what it is to suffer. The Old Testament refers to him as a man acquainted with suffering. When you are suffering, you're not alone. He is with you 
even in it. Yeah. Yeah, that passage comes from the Apostle Paul, who is currently dealing with a physical ailment that will not leave him. And he goes, but God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. He is here with me. He is enough for me. And I'm going to continue to praise him. And listen, there's a, there's a flip side to this coin. How, does, how else can the gospel apply to sickness, to health troubles, to, to whatever it may be? as we also have the opportunity to come before our king, we believe that Jesus Christ is savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. And go, you also have the ability to do something supernatural. I have the ability to walk into the throne room of my king who spoke the world into existence and ask him for healing. The scriptures say to call the elders to be anointed and, and prayed over for our healing. Now, does God do it every time? He does not. Again, the Apostle Paul. If anybody knew Jesus, it was the Apostle Paul. And God told him no. He praised him anyway, and he continued to rely on the strength of God for it. But he knew, like, because of the gospel, I have the right to ask my king for healing. And there's a chance that that is how he's going to move on my behalf. And so I'm going to gather some friends, and we're going to pray. I'm going to come before the elders and be anointed and prayed over because that, the gospel has given me access to my healer. And if he says no, I will trust him anyway. I will continue to praise him for his goodness. If he says yes, I will trust him and I will praise him for his goodness. But we also, through the gospel, have the ability to ask our king for healing. So, last question. You know where I'm going. A friend is sharing about health troubles or a diagnosis they just received. How does the gospel apply? When I am sick, when I, am, when I have that thing that won't, God is near to me, what if I was then called to be near to this other person? I mean, we're the church. We make meals for people, right? We're the church. We make meals for people, right? It's what we do. Okay? It's a very natural thing for us. Why? Not just because, oh, they probably couldn't turn the stove on for themselves, but because they need to know they're not alone. They need to know someone cares for them. I want to show up for them like Jesus has shown up for me. 
in real and practical and helpful ways. What else? How does the gospel apply? Yeah, to help carry the load so they know they're not alone in any of it. Yeah? 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 This is where push comes to shove. Do we really believe that God is our healer? Because if so, we can't just go, oh, man, that's really tough. I'm going to pray for you. And then we turn and we run is what we typically do. We send a text with just praying hands. That doesn't cut it, church. Like, that's fine after you have prayed for them to remind them that you're still cool. Let's go before the throne with people. Look, I believe that God is able to heal. I don't know if he will or not, but I would love to go with you and ask him. Is that something you'd be up for? Maybe they say no, but let me tell you, I've never had someone say no to that. Never when someone is going through something difficult have they been like, ah, get out of here. They're going, I will take any life raft I can find. I'd love to, to go before the king with you. Can I pray with you right now, right here? Let's pray together. And I show them my faith in my king. And I hope, like a prayer that I pray regularly, is that it awakens a jealousy inside of people. Oftentimes we look at jealousy as this bad thing. But Paul talks about it. He says, man, God gave salvation to the Gentiles, hoping to make the Jews jealous. That they would go, how come they get to be close to God? How come they get to live in blessing and peace? I want what they have. And so when I see someone in this situation, I'm going to go, I want to show you what I have. I'm going to offer it to you, and I'm going to pray that God makes you jealous for it. There's nothing I wouldn't do to get it. When we get jealous, we get petty, right? Nothing's going to stop me here. I pray that this is kind of the same thing that awakens in people. I don't care. I've, I've made fun of Christians. I thought this was silly. I thought it was foolish. But I so need what they have. I don't care what I look like. I, I don't care what I have to do. I need what they have. When they see us applying the gospel to our lives and living transformed and, and witnessing the good news to them, we pray that they become jealous for it. Whatever it takes, I have to have that light that I see in them, that hope that I see in them, that joy, that faith, that peace and security. I need that myself. If we're going to become the evangelizing people that God created us to be, we have to internalize these two truths. We don't save anybody. Amen and amen. And the gospel is a whole life thing meant to apply to every area of our lives. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and if you would pray with me. Lord Jesus, we've all fallen into that, let's just call it sinful way of thinking of, yeah, but this, this is mine to control. But, but this area, like, God doesn't have anything to do with that. There is no part of our life, there is no area that you are not concerned, that you have not moved in and are not moving in right now. Give us eyes to see the good news that the king has drawn near, that the king cares about every area of our life. And may we begin to, as Paul said, work out our salvation 
allow your gospel, the good news that the king is near, to be applied to every area of our life. Lord, may the world around us see this and be jealous for it. May we see new and fresh opportunities as people are sharing about their families and their work lives and the good things and the bad things. May we see opportunities to share the good news that the king is moving on their behalf right now today. May you do amazing works, God. Again, as I picture our church one year, three years, five years from now, God, I see so many faces that I don't know. May you bring new people into this church, into this body, not just on an attendance level, but God plugged in because they are now followers of Jesus because of the good news. The good news that we take with us everywhere we go. May we see your hand at work. You go before us. You come behind us. You empower us. May we put on the hard hat and go to work with that. Build your church, God. Build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.